Hello and welcome to the Compassionate Leadership Interview. I'm Chris Whitehead and our guest today is Mark Berrios Ayala, lawyer, board director of the Gwyneth Cherry Black Women Lawyers Association, regional vice president of District 3 of the Puerto Rican Bar Association of Florida, and author of Let's Get Sincere, a book on being an ally. Mark, welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. Before we start our discussion, could you explain the concept of allyship to our listeners? Yeah, allyship is a fairly simple concept. It's basically helping a resilient or disadvantaged community that is not your own. So, um, you know, it's a one sense definition, but we can break that down. A resilient community will be, you know, aka a disadvantaged one, one that's had a history of oppression and marginalization. So that is one. And two, it cannot be your own. If you're helping your own community, you wouldn't call, I wouldn't call yourself an ally. So, and when it comes to a disadvantaged community, I have a whole chapter dedicated to breaking down what that means. <clears throat> or resilience. There's like basically four prongs that, that breaks up how intersectionality works with the history of marginalization, oppression, whether it's legal, cultural, economic, and then you got issues. Then you have like a lot of societal issues with, hist- with issues of social ills like drugs or, or alcohol abuse. Ones of these issues are rampant that can contribute to it. And then the final element so to speak is basically deals with intersectionality um what is your gender identification what is your what is your sexual orientation what is your religion you know my community is largely catholic but if let's say you're practicing muslim you're kind of in a sense a double minority so to speak because even in your own community you practice a religion that few people would believe in and you may have issues with your own community on that that the rest of the world is kind of oblivious to so that's a breakdown of what a resilient community is i add intersectionality to it and that's how that plays because these are just layers that add to complicating things and they need to be understood and i as somebody that isn't in that community but is helping people in that community and that's basically what it is thank you would you like to tell us about your journey to your current role? About 12 years ago, I was in finishing up secondary school. We call it high school here in the United States. And I wanted to be a film director. And I made a few videos and films based or more like documentaries that addressed issues sort of similar to this. And then eventually I decided that film was not for me. I went to college and then law school in the U.S., We have a special institution that teaches law. We don't do the LLBs that you probably do in the United Kingdom. We have a separate degree. It's called a Juris Doctor. It's just a separate degree. So I went to that a long time ago. An ex-girlfriend told me to consider writing a book. And that was my response was, "Eh, okay, whatever. I mean, maybe, but the thought stuck with me. And then during the pandemic, I decided it was time to write it. I did a bunch of brainstorming and eventually I came up with the topic. I thought it was something I could talk about. It's something that needed to be talked about. And there's a way where I can add the different type of elements and things, the ingredients of this book into there in a way that's going to flow naturally. That's basically a bit about me and how this book came to be. So 
And has your upbringing in the Puerto Rican community shaped your beliefs on the importance of allyship at all? Oh, there is a bit of a history in my community doing that. So I mentioned a group called the Young Lords that existed in the northeastern area of the United States, so New York, Chicago, Boston. And uh, there are conglomerate Puerto Ricans that try to not just help their own community, but they helped other Latino communities, ones that come from other nations. And they were pretty open to people who were who were women or even LGBTQ, which was a thing for the time. Well, LGBTQIA+, I believe is the way you say it, but... You know, they were open to having people like that there, which was uh, interesting for the time. So, um, and they did collaborate with some African-American organizations too. So that's like, in a, you know, there are books written about this. I'm not going to go ahead and link from that because those books do it better justice than I can right now. But there is a bit of a history of that in my community. Um, and I just see it's a bit of a continuation of that for the 21st century. So. I'm interested in your book, Let's Get Sincere, because in 2012, I became a straight ally to the LGBTQ community within the multinational corporate where I was an OPCO director. I was also an ally to the same company's Women in Business Network. I think that at the time I would have found a book on being an ally helpful. Your book explores, and I quote, the political, social and spiritual dimensions of allyship. Where shall we start with that? Let's start with political. That's probably the most obvious one from allyship. If you're in a community that's not your own, some people may wonder, why are you here? Do you have any political aspirations? You know, when I talk about what makes a resilient community resilient or what makes them oppressed, it's about colonialization. And the first part is basically what I call de jure discrimination, which is you have a law that basically says people of this group can't do this because of who they are. So if you ever had a law that says, I don't know, uh, maybe let's say for England, hypothetically, if you're English descent, you cannot go to Wales just because of the fact that you're English, that would be de jure discrimination. Let's talk about de facto legal discrimination. So there's no law or statute that says that, but as practice, uh, the police will arrest any English person who tries to cross into Wales, even though there's no actual law that says you cannot do that. That's a the big problem in the United States right now, uh, technically it's unconstitutional to have any law that would even resemble that, but there's a bit of an argument now that in practice it kind of functions that way, even though there's no actual law that says that. That was a thing of the past, like about 80 years ago, 60 to 80 years ago during the civil rights movement that has now ended. So uh, social is basically, this isn't so much about law, this is about people hanging out with each other, talking to each other. This is about being the only one in the workplace that's of your community. So they say sometimes in the U.S., a brown face in a white place, so to speak. Um, it can be hard to click socially to get along with people. Uh, people. Resilient community members find it harder to just click with people in their job space, and this can lead to early termination or just not fitting in or getting hard to get promotions. I felt that way many times, so... Sometimes in the workplace, for better or worse, it is a bit of a popularity contest as who can you fit in or not, especially in my profession as an attorney. That's a very true. It, it really does matter, unfortunately, for better or worse. So that's what that is about. Spiritual deals. When you see people going through a struggle, um, I find that a lot of people turn to spirituality or religion as a way to help cope with it. I'm not going to sit here and tell you which which religion is the correct one, which one is not, even though I have cited multiple ones. Uh, I'm not here to do that, but I am saying for better or worse, when you're going through things, 
people tend to turn to those things for comfort and guidance. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. And sometimes as an ally, you may, may do so too. Sometimes your chosen community may try to push their beliefs on you, may try to maybe, you know, spread the word, so to speak, or you may try to do that to them. That can come up. Um, I just give you things just to think about, just to help guide you, because this book is served more as a as an outline of how to think through problems, because I'm never going to have the answer to everything. The LGBTQ community in the United Kingdom is probably going to have some issues that are similar to that in the United States. You may have some that are unique to the United Kingdom. So, um, because there are certain issues over there, like maybe how does the concept of republicanism or adhering to the monarchy over there, how does that apply to them? They may have different opinions that does not make sense to, to have that in the United States. So republicanism has a different com- connotation here than it does over there. So an economic um, part of a, uh, you're very rarely going to see an oppressed group that is largely wealthy monetarily. I just haven't seen that, but, it, you know, that, that does come with the territory, so to speak. And where should the motivation come from to be an ally? Well, here's the thing. I mean, in a perfect world, no one should be oppressed and we should all help each other. But at the same time, a bit of a, you know, I am very optimistic. I'm very positive. But at the same time, I'm better a realist. The world doesn't work that way and it may not work that way anytime soon. And I imagine if you're reading this book, it's probably not going to be that way anytime soon. Just the fact that you're reading it. What I always say is just think to your personal life, what, the resilient community do you happen to have contact with throughout your daily life either now or in the past do you happen to have a lot of friends in that community have you happened to date to have dated people in that community do you work with people in that community do you are you in a job where you serve people in that community do you have a affinity for their culture or anything like that uh, i'm not talking about cultural appropriation i mean do you like happen to like their music do you happen to like their artwork maybe movies or shows that depict their their lives. So I'm not talking about cultural appropriation. I'm just saying, do you have an appreciation for it that is kind of long-standing? If you do, those are all good reasons to um, be an ally. I think the the joke in the United States is, I can't be racist if I have friends in this community. I'm saying, let's let's change that. I'm going to be an ally because I have friends in that community. That is the justification for it. It's a very simple one, but I care a lot about sincerity because I don't like fake people. I don't like anything that is fickle. There are times in this world where you may sing, say things that are fickle. There may be a bit of a novelty to being an ally because some people may think you can fix everything just by the fact that you're there or you are basically an excuse not to do something because you're there. And that's not true. Uh, I read an article the other day that came out from the 1990s in New York of a lady who used to um, be a teacher to uh, children in a, a low income school full of people in the resilient community here in the United States. Kids that are poor have kids parents that are incarcerated, maybe come from single family households, their incomes are considered extremely, I've tried to say poor for American standards. And she basically said, you know, I used to take them out to do, to see different parts of life. Like I took them on a trip to Washington DC to see some of our sites and that's great. But she says that that doesn't change everything. That doesn't put food on their table. That doesn't give them a full family. That doesn't give them a lot of structure and stability that they need. I mean, mentorship is helpful, but it's not everything. It doesn't replace access to healthcare, access to good education, affordable housing, food on the table, so to speak. 
So, you know, allyship is helpful. You got to be sincere, but also keep in mind, you're not going to be able to fix every problem. You're just not going to do it because there's some things I would say that you might need some government action to help. You may have maybe the private sector could help in some ways, bigger institutions. And then other things, it could be an individual thing. And you can help with all these things, but you won't be able to solve your, all of your resilient community's problems. You just can't. It just does, the world does not work that way. And I'm optimistic. I wrote this book thinking that somebody, people are going to like it. Um, but at the same time, uh, I also know you're not just not going to fix every problem. So, uh, and I say sincerity because uh, not everybody is as sincere, and some people could pretend to be an ally because they want something, and I personally don't like that. And by being sincere and helping a community that you have a personal connection with, it'll keep you there for the long haul, which was what matters. So, I mean, what behaviors are helpful in an ally? I have about nine elements here. Um, they're not, I wouldn't call them supposedly exhaustive, but these are the main ones. Uh, courage, compassion, loyalty, honesty, consistency, selflessness, sacrifice, perseverance, and sincerity. They do overlap. I do mention on the book, so if you feel like they overlap, that's okay. Courage, you just got to be willing to be there for them and Sometimes there may be big issues that will get you on TV, but I'm more focused on the smaller things because I imagine most of you allies are fairly quiet people. You don't like a lot of media attention. You probably drive a used car, so to speak. So I uh, probably watch football every weekend. Um, you're just normal people. So uh, it's little things like, you know, if somebody's giving someone a hard time, you can help stand up for them. Just be a good friend for them. I always say I think the best... Um, so far, overall example for this book is just being a good mentor, whether professional or in maybe other setting. I mean, I'm a part of a mentorship program here in the United States where you help mentor youth. I'm not going to say who this particular person's name is just for his you know, privacy, but I, I do that. That's a good way because you hit a lot of these really well. And sometimes just being there with people is very helpful. So you may not get a lot of media attention over it, and that's okay. So you may not always get a trophy for it, and that's okay because if you're truly being sincere with a group that you care about, you're not going to care about that, and that makes it easier for all these things to come to you. In researching your book, did you encounter any allies that struck you as outstanding? I don't know if I would have saw them as allies for the time. I would have just seen them as good teachers that helped gave me guidance when I needed something. So uh, I had one when I was in secondary school when I was, I believe, 13. It was an English class. And he told me about an early college program to consider, So, uh, which is like a program they have where I live where you can take university courses while you're in secondary school. So uh, I had never heard of that before because neither of my parents attended university. So, and I decided to do it and uh, the rest is history, so to speak. So um, it's, it's a little thing, very encouraging, um, giving good praise when you do good, giving construction criticism when you don't do so good, especially when you can tell it's just a lack of effort. They, they don't care. There are people that do that sometimes. We all do that. So that can be helpful to help me do that. And I'm uh, very thankful that I did that. Yeah, that's the biggest one that I can think of. I don't know if I would have called him a straight ally, but um, that kind of behavior would definitely help an ally. That's for sure. So now we have a series of questions that I ask all my guests. What is your proudest achievement in your career to date? Other than writing this book, 
which is uh, an accomplishment in itself. It's I'm coming at the tail end of three years. So when I have my release party next month, it'll be around three years from when I originally made the commitment to do it. So that's a big one. Other than that, just becoming an attorney, uh, being on different voluntary bar associations for my age. I mean, today marks around five years ago that I passed the bar exam for the first time and became an attorney for the first time. So uh, it's nice to see that I've done all this in a relatively short amount of time. It's very refreshing. It's nice to see. But I like to see that my biggest achievements are yet to come. So other than that, just graduating being able to have my own place where I can afford to live by myself, not having to rely on my parents to take care of me. Not that I, they're bad people, but uh, I'm happy that I'm independent enough that I don't have to say, can you help me pay my rent or pay my car uh, payment? I'm happy to say I could take care of that myself. If anything, I'm going to take you guys out to dinner when you visit me. And would you be prepared to disclose your biggest mistake and what you learned from it? Yes, uh, I got several mistakes. Uh, I think it really comes down to is just listening to what other people say instead of following my intuition. So it goes back in law school. Some people told me to study this way when my intuition told me to study that way. I followed their advice and I kind of ended up paying for it. So, and this has happened several times in my life and it just really comes down to just not following your intuition. So uh, your gut feeling, so to speak. And I think I even mentioned that a couple of times in my book to try and use that as kind of like a pull star for where to go. Because again, I'm not going to have the answer for everything. This book is to help you think through these problems because you should not look to me to uh, answer everything. So when we go to law school, we learn more like an analysis of things to think about. And steps to go through to tackle a problem. These are like the issues that you need me for. The stuff where it's either very simple, yes or no. You don't need me for that. You can think of that for yourself. Imagine you are capable of thinking about that. This book here is to give you a guide of things to think about for the things that are not as clear. It's more of a step-by-step process to go through to find the solution. And you will have to what we call plug in the facts. LGBTQ community in England is going to have a different set of facts there than the communities we serve here in the United States or in Canada or in Germany. You, it is your job. You're going to have to do that. You're going to have to do lots of research. So uh, that is the best way to do it because I won't have the answer for everything. And at the end of the day, your, your intuition will help you. That can be a pull star and you are going to make some mistakes. So uh, it's just part of being a human. So apart from your own book, is there a book, podcast or video that you'd recommend to aspiring leaders? How to Win and Influence People by Daniel Carnegie is good. Um, I'm always a fan of The Art of War because at the end of the day, it's not so much about winning and conquering enemies. It's more about how to defeat opponents and obstacles. That's how I interpret it. That's what it's really about. So I think my favorite quote is, if you know the enemy and know yourself, you need not fear the end of 100 battles. If you know yourself and not your enemy for every victory one, you will also incur defeat. And if you know neither, you will lose every time. And I'm paraphrasing that last part, but it's basically, it's, it's good for life. I mean, if you know yourself really well and whatever opponent or obstacle, you will have an idea of what's going to happen or what you need to do to make it happen. And I hope this book is going to help any ally out there give you the steps to think about to know your obstacle and know yourself, know your zone community. And that will give you the information you need to see. Can I make this happen? How do I make this happen? And how long is it going to take? Sometimes it can be a fairly quick process. Sometimes it may be a long process. So I also recommend The Artist Seduction by Robert Greene. Um, this is more for learning about behavior, people that are manipulative or people that just have a lot of problems. So, cause there are some 
people that will say they're allies that are really using these tactics. Yeah, I call them predators. This book kind of gives you a little more insight into their behavior, exactly how they do what they do, their manipulativeness. So um, those are books I recommend. Even though I don't encourage that behavior, I do encourage people to learn about that behavior because as the Art of War says, you have to understand your enemy or your opponent to be able to find a way to overcome them. And you have to learn. You know, If you want to defeat a manipulator, you have to learn how they manipulate. So you strike me as a busy person. You're an attorney. You have a, quite a lot of extracurricular responsibilities and you're an author as well. Mm. What does your self-care regime look like? Yeah, I do go to the gym to work out. Um, we're on a hybrid system where I work out. So I was actually at the physical office this past week. So I just didn't have as much of a chance to go to the gym like I'd like to. But when I can, I go to the gym, strength training. I will run about a mile, about 1.6 kilometers, three times a week. And I try to eat healthy and meditate. Those are all fairly helpful. And then I do talk to friends when I can. So uh, on the phone or um, sometimes I watch sports since it's that seat time of year for the United States uh, when I can. I'm probably going to watch a game later on today, actually. So just for pure fun. So um, uh, for me, being involved is fun because... Um, I'm extremely introverted, extremely quiet. Um, I didn't really have a lot of social opportunities when I was younger. So these extracurriculars, and this is about, goes back to sincerity is not only do I believe in that, I actually find that enjoyable because you will have, I do, it does give me social uh, situations to go to that I otherwise didn't have gone to interesting events I otherwise wasn't going to go to. I've got to meet interesting people I otherwise wasn't going to meet. So if you are sincere about things, there's bit of a benefit there too i mean you have people to hang out things to do places to go so um i enjoy it it's always fun it's always something new so i like it and finally what advice would you give your 20 year old self you're not that much older than 20 actually are you but it's still <laughs> i'm 30 actually yeah okay so yeah. 10 years ago what advice might you have given yourself i think i would have taken a different test prep class and preparation for law school there's a standardized test you have to take all the else i would have told myself take a different prep class i would have shot for some extra law schools i didn't apply to that looking back i think i should have and i would tell myself first year kind of try to relax and focus more on doing some physical exercises that will relax you and uh, study your way don't listen to as many people telling you how they should study just do it your way and i think um that would have been very beneficial and then i guess going to my 23 or to my 25 year old self i would tell myself you will find a job but it won't be exactly what you think it is and that's okay well thank you well for such a great interview i think we've given people a flavor at least for the many different dimensions of uh, allyship and mm -hmm. a little insight into its complexities. They can find more about it in your book, Let's Get Sincere. And thanks for listening to the Compassionate Leadership interview. You can order Compassionate Leadership, the book on Amazon. If you'd like to support the show financially, you can find me at patreon.com forward slash Chris Whitehead. Email me about the show, chris at danplas-consulting.com. This episode was recorded by Zoom and the music was brought to you by 96 Back on CBU Records.